Welcome to the Rice Historical Review podcast. I am Darren Pomita, the Assistant Director of Publication at the Rice Historical Review. With me is Dr. Carl Caldwell, the Samuel G. McCann Professor of History at Rice University, and Jungbin Lim, a senior history major from Weiss College here at Rice. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Today we are discussing one of the excellent papers that we published last year in the first volume of the Rice Historical Review, and it was a paper that I actually had the great chance to copy edit. We will be talking about Jungbin's paper that he wrote for Dr. Caldwell's German History 1945 to Present class, titled From Welcoming to Wary, the SPD's Rhetoric on the Flüchtlingspolitik or Refugee Policy. Jungbin's paper traces the response of the Social Democratic Party of Germany, or SPD, to the European migrant crisis in the fall of 2015. So, Jungbin, can you please tell the listeners the basic overview of your paper? Uh, yeah. So this paper is about uh, the Social Democratic Party of Germany. And more specifically, I talk about how they changed their rhetoric on the refugee policy in the fall of 2015. And to give you more background information, uh, since the beginning of the Arab Spring, and especially since the, the outbreak of the Syrian civil war, um, millions of refugees from the Middle East uh, have been streaming into Europe, uh, the European Union, and especially Germany. And um, in 2015, Germany was taking in hundreds of thousands of refugees at the time. And um, on September 5th of that year, Chancellor Angela Merkel made a very controversial decision to um, admit thousands of refugees who were then stuck in Hungary at the time. And what her decision signified was that Germany would really step forward as a leader on, on refugee rights and that re Germany would really bear the brunt of accommodating these refugees. So in my paper, I argue that until this point, until September 5th of 2015, the SPD was wholeheartedly uh, supportive of protecting refugee rights and accommodating uh, millions of refugees. But after this point, they changed their rhetoric to say things like um, how Germany needs to be more realistic about the limits on its capacity to accommodate so many immigrants and that um, Germany needs to be more sensitive to the, to the fears um, and anxieties of German citizens. If I can put this in some context, uh, what I really liked about your paper, Jungbin, is the way it articulates a problem that the Social Democrats have faced in the past. If you think about this party, this is a populist party of the workers, and they have two basic sides to it. One side is to represent the workers in Germany, the other side is to represent higher ideals, including international solidarity. And again and again in its history, they've come into conflict. 1914, they're supposed to be pacifists, they're supposed to be internationalists, and they vote for war. 1980s, uh, you have a period of long-term unemployment, bad employment problems uh, facing Germany. Well, who are they representing? Are they re representing the guest workers who are in the state, or are they representing the workers? They themselves begin to develop these contradictions, especially La Fontaine, who becomes a representative of the far left, of kind of left populism. In the 1990s, the same thing happens with asylum politics. In other words, what Jungbin saw happening in process, remember, he was writing a history of this process while our class was in session. This is going on. This is the amazing thing about the paper. This is actually opening up a long-term kind of crisis within the Social Democrats themselves. 
So I thought that was really an interesting kind of continuation of the story. And tie this discussion to a more global framework. The reason that I really wanted to do this project was, at the time, I was really interested in the, in the recent history of the left over the past 20 years. So if you look at these leftist parties like the Democrats in America, like the Labour Party in Britain, and the SPD in Germany, all these parties have shifted you know, bit by bit to the center. So that was the history that I wanted to explore in this project. And uh, like, do- like what Dr. Collins said, what I wanted to see in this paper was whether the SPD would uh, adhere to its principles of uh, a multicultural, diverse Germany, or whether they would try to cater to um, their elect- um, electoral interest to gain more votes by moving the party to the, to the center. I find that word multiculturalism to be a very interesting topic that you talked about because, um, as many of us know, um, Angela Merkel and a lot of German politicians have criticized the German policy of multiculturalism that has been going on for around 20 years or so. So I was wondering if you can talk about sort of the role of multicultural policies with the SPD and how has that changed? Um, So traditionally, SPD has been the party that has supported the idea of a multicultural Germany. And even since the fall of 2015, the party hasn't changed fundamentally on this point. But what has changed is the rhetoric on this specific issue of what do we do about so many refugees who are streaming into Germany in, in such short um, a time period. That's the subtle point, the nuanced point about this paper is that um, on the whole, in terms of policy, uh, the SPD has not changed drastically on, on the questions of um, how many refugees should Germany accommodate or how should um, Germany frame its leadership on the, on the refugee policy within the European Union. But what has changed is um, their rhetoric uh, specifically. I'm going to add to that. If you look at Germany up to the 1980s, the major parties, including the Social Democrats, really didn't believe this was an immigration country, despite the fact there were millions of foreigners living there and living there permanently. So the rhetoric only starts to change in the 1980s, and it's a pretty um, conflict-ridden discussion. Now, let's say that people this is becoming a land of immigrants. And in fact, by some indications, there are more immigrants now living in Germany than in the United States. So that's actually, that's a big change. What, how do you integrate immigrants? That's, that's the underlying question about multiculturalism. One approach is to say everyone can become a part of Germany. That doesn't necessarily mean citizenship. That's a big separate issue, legal rights. But they don't have to give up what they have. You don't have to put much money into integration. That was, that's the kind of the multicultural argument. This is great. We can all be different. We can live together. That's very different from what's developed. What started on the right, uh, saying, yeah, actually, people have to buy into the country. They have to learn about German culture, which is a really difficult thing because just like in America, there is no one thing called German culture, right? So uh, in a sense, this multicultural, the anti-multiculturalism of miracle is not necessarily opposed to immigrants. It's opposed to immigrants who don't adopt German values. And the Social Democrats have traditionally been much more um, ambivalent about this, this idea, partly because of their political history, right? 
So many German social democrats had to leave under Nazism, and they didn't want to become Americans, for example. They wanted to be accepted as Germans who were in exile, and that's what they're seeing now. So I think Jung Ming is absolutely right. We're getting to this, this issue of values and also of the specific history of the social democrats. Right. So let me bring in Dr. Caldwell again to this conversation. Germany has, as you said, there was there, Germany has a strong or has a long history of accepting um, migrants or immigrants from other countries. We have the Gastarbeiter from Turkey and other guest workers during the 1960s. But what makes this refugee crisis different or unique in a way that would cause sort of a turn in the SPD or create a lot of these political problems in Germany? Well, let's let's talk about four different moments of immigration in Germany. The first one is often not recognized as a moment of immigration. That's forced labor. And, you know, the first great immigration wave, if you want to call it that, is bringing people in from the west and the east under Hitler. Actually, you can see precedents in World War One with Belgians to carry out labor because the German men are in the field. That is really that's that's because of a labor shortage. And the history of modern Germany until the 1980s has been a history of labor shortages because of the incredible level of production in Germany. Follow that with the guest workers. Welcome them in, but they're supposed to leave. And then the 1980s and 90s becomes clear they are staying. They have to rediscuss citizenship, whether to grant people citizenship. Okay, so you have all these processes of coming to terms with the past, developing citizenship laws, and then suddenly we have movement of literally millions of people with no end in sight because of the civil wars caused in part by the West, but not only by the West, that are uh, flaring up not just, of course, in the Middle East, also in Africa. This is something relatively different, right? This is not planned immigration. This is something that's carried out through asylum policies, which are different from immigration policies. And then at this point, I think um, the panic begins. How many of these people want to be in Germany? How have that, can we assimilate so many people in a short amount of time? Hey, we've now developed citizenship rules. Is this what we developed it for? It's not bringing people with a high level of, um, uh, say, education in. It's bringing a lot of different kinds of people in. So I think, I, I mean, sorry to make it so complicated here. This is exactly <laughs> the issue that Jung Bin's paper opens up, the complexities of this moment. Really, it's overwhelming a whole bunch of different assumptions about what immigration is going to look like in Germany. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, that's okay. absolutely Good. useful. So um, one of the things we like to talk about here at the Rice Historical Review is talk about what it takes to write a lot of these papers. And Jungbin, I was wondering, like, what the methodology that you used were. Like, how did you find the sources for your paper, especially given that you were writing this historical paper while the class was going on? Uh, right. Uh, because of that... Um, nature of the paper, I had to rely mostly on newspapers and some other publications. So uh, mainly I used German newspapers like um, the Frankfurter Allgemeine, Die Zeit, and um, the Spiegel. And also I used some American publications like Politico, the New York Times, and the Migrant Policy Institute. And I did use a few articles that um, Dr. Caldwell brought up in our class to provide some context of the SPD's history and history of uh, immigration in Germany. But um, for the most part, I had to use newspapers and especially German ones, which I was able to use because um, I had taken about three years of German um, during my time at Rice. The German was essential, I think, Jungbin, right? I mean, 
this is, we sometimes hear people say you don't need to know learn another language. You cannot do this kind of project. You cannot figure out what's happening at a certain moment in a country without getting immediate access to this information. Um, if you rely on historical work, you're waiting five or ten years, and you're saying those people have done the work for me. So I, I want to stress the foreign language component. That's one of the things that made this paper stand out. So how different would this paper look like had it been written sort of later from now, or if we, it was written like 10 years from now, what would, what, what would you incorporate into this paper that would, you, wouldn't, you didn't have a chance to incorporate this time? Um, I would say one big thing is that um, while I was writing the paper, I didn't really consider um, the global context in which the topics I discussed in the paper um, were unfolding. And in hindsight, especially looking at all the things that took place last year, like the election of Trump and the Brexit, now it seems really clear that um, what I talk about in the paper, which is the responses of the SPD as well as the German left at large towards um, the issues of globalization and global migrations. Um, so when I wrote the paper, those issues weren't really clear to me. I focused primarily on um, the history of the social democrats itself. But now, um, if I were to write the paper today, I would discuss um, the history of the social democrats on one hand, but I would put a more emphasis on how that ties to the global phenomena of globalization and the various responses of different parties, both in Germany and across the West. I agree with that totally. I mean, I think it's hard when you write contemporary history. It's almost impossible. It ends where you are. Right? Mm-hmm. And that may not be the uh, the most obvious place to end something in retrospect. Of course, we're always revising everything, so that's what historians <laughs> do. But just uh, you're, you're talking about Trump, but you're, you're implying the populism in Germany as well. You have to remember that both the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats are facing challenges on, respectively, the left and the right, right, right and left. So the alternative for Germany is presenting an anti-European Union, anti-immigration platform against Merkel. The Die Linke, or the left, initially was um, attacking the Social Democrats when you were doing your paper. They were attacking the Social Democrats for being anti-asylum seeker. What's really interesting there, the Linke was, is that they switched around now. Uh, their um, ostensible leader now, Wagenknecht, who was, is now um, involved with La Fontaine. That's one of those weird romances of our, of our times. La Fontaine, I mentioned before in the context of the 1980s, far-left figure, also immigrant in the 1980s, anti-immigrant in the 1980s. Wagenknecht has made that turn as well because you not only have these two uh, groups pulling centrist voters out toward the margins, they are ending up in competition with each other, left and right populism. I suspect something like that was also happening in the United States between Sanders and Trump. So it, it kind of it, it increases the level of, of rhetoric. So I agree completely with what you're saying. It would be a very different kind of story now because the politics has gotten much more interesting. And this is just sort of like out of curiosity. LaFontaine was in the Sarland, wasn't he? Um, he, was, he was a big figure there because I was just reading about the recent Sarland election. Um, so going back to sort of your discussion about their like – competing polls on the right and left. I was wondering what the difference now um, after um, the turn of the SPD between the calls of realism that they have versus some of the voices, the anti-immigrant voices 
on both the right and the left. What's still fundamentally different about that? So I would say that, um, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of the overall refugee policy, um, the SPD is far more supportive of refugee rights compared to the um, IFD or the alternative for Germany or um, compared to the Linker, the left party. But uh, what we've seen over the course of 2016 is that they've moved little by little to the, to the center, if not to the right. So we've come to a point where now um, the Social Democrats are very critical of Angela Merkel's policy that um, Germany should really open its doors to refugees. And it's, uh, we, have, we can only make a subtle, a nuanced point um, on how the SPD is responding because it is confusing to grasp that on, on one hand, they are still supportive of accommodating all these people in need and accommodating all these asylum seekers. But when you listen to their rhetoric, you get um, different messages at sometimes. So sometimes they'll say um, Germany needs to be a leader in helping out all these refugees. But at the same time, they'll also say things like Germany needs to be aware of its, the limits on its capacity. I think that's right. This is the magic of Martin Schultz <laughs> that he can obfuscate so well. He can avoid actually saying that they're developing more of an anti-immigration policy, but hint at it. And then he can run his campaign, weirdly enough, against the Social Democrats, not on immigration. He's, he's like um, he's switching the topic. Oh, yes, things were done badly. Passive voice. And we also have to change the social policy uh, reforms that occurred uh, under the Social Democratic predecessors in the early 2000s. And so it's interesting to see how a good re rhetorician can avoid hitting the real topic. I think right? it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to watch. Right. And you brought up Martin Schultz, and I think that's one of the things that changed between the time you wrote your paper and today, because one of the main key players in your paper was Sigmar Gabriel, and he was um, he announced like late last year that he was not going to um, stand for the recent elections um, here in two thousand in September of two thousand seventeen, um, and he was replaced by Martin Schulz, who was of course the former president of the European Council or some the European Parliament. Um, and I checked recent polls, and Schultz is now tied or just above Merkel in some of the polls. Of course, he had a recent defeat um, just this weekend, but he's still very close to Angela Merkel and perhaps could challenge her um, um, and defeat her after uh, Merkel has been in power for almost 12 years. So what does Schultz's leadership suggest about the SPD and its future approach to the refugee crisis? <laughs> Uh, right. So in the conclusion of the paper, um, one question that, what I, that I posed was whether the SPD would stay on the left and really adhere to its um, traditional ideals or whether they would move to the center in order to um, gain electoral votes and rise above their, their rival, the Christian Democrats, the party of Angela Merkel. But I think what's happened since the change of of leadership within the SPD in um, in the January of this year is that on on economic policies they've moved a lot to the left. So one key thing that Martin Schulz is saying is um, addressing uh, economic inequality and the fact that these global um, 
huge global corporations are able to avoid taxes, while um, average German citizens have to, you know, pay all their taxes and do their do their part for the country. But on the on the specific issue of refugee policy, they've they're more or less about in the center, if not on the right, compared to where they were before the fall of 2015. So I think on these two issues, on one hand, economic issues, and on the other hand, refugee issues, they're moving in different, different um, directions. But I think on the whole, especially because Martin Schulz and the, and the Social Democrats are really emphasizing their um, economic policies, I'll say that on the whole, they've moved a little to the left. And can't forget the whole issue of the crisis of the Eurozone, which is underlying this whole thing. I mean, you wouldn't have the kinds of reactions you did if the Eurozone hadn't been in crisis since 2008. And uh, I think it's very important that Schultz is coming in as someone who is um, very well aware of what that crisis involves, very well aware of the need for a strong European Parliament to express the legitimacy of, of Europe as a kind of international nation, if you can call it that, right? It's a very complicated thing to think about. And also, most important, one of the reasons he's being so vague of certain things when it comes to immigration, he knows why Merkel actually let the refugees in. It was not because Merkel deep down loves refugees. That's not what it was ever about. It was actually about a crisis in Italy, in Greece, in Hungary, places that had too many refugees, and saying, we're going to let them in, and we need a European solution. So this is an interesting thing. This is uh, the, uh, both CDU and SPD are kind of playing it down. Both of them are pro Eurozone, pro, pro uh, European Union. And I think this is where we would see some major changes if Schultz gets elected, trying to find a way for the Eurozone as a whole to solve this problem, which might involve drastically limiting uh, immigrants. So the cleavage, would you say that the cleavage between the SPD and the CDU is not necessarily so centered on the refugee crisis? Like the, I think it was the refugee crisis is uh, they had to act together because of the grand coalition. Yes. Uh, that, that's the underlying issue. And that always allows the possibility for strong, independent, critical groups, radical groups sometimes to spring up, right? I think uh, deep down their problem has been under the Grand Coalition that they cannot distinguish themselves from each other. And so neither do they want to also when it comes <laughs> to certain basic issues uh, which distinguish Germany from especially the United States today. So, yeah, I, I mean, this, this is the, the problem for both of them. How do you say we are the alternative to the other party when they're ruling together? Yeah. So finally, I guess this is a little bit more of an open-ended question. What is the future of left-wing politics in Germany and in Europe? Uh, since, since Jungbin's paper, we've seen a significant right-wing movement come or fully mature into a threatening political force. We have Marine Le Pen in France, who stands a chance now to win the French election. We just had Gert Wilders who, in Netherlands, who was defeated, but is still very powerful. And one of the key unifying factors in these movements is a distinct, distinct anti-immigration tone. Is there a historical context that we can look to to better help understand what seems to be an appending of the neoliberal world order? Of course, we can't predict the future. Uh, I would not, however, be surprised if you see the traditional left parties developing much more of a kind of populist tone. But 
by the way, that populist tone can be called for restrictions to immigration without being anti-immigrant. There is a distinction to be made here, right? The anti-immigrant tones of, of Wilders, for example, um, are anti-Muslim and uh, often racist. And off day is the same thing. You can say, hey, we don't have the wherewithal given our current level of unemployment to take so many people in. We need to find other solutions. That's not necessarily racist. So I think these distinctions will come up. They can still have right populist tones, especially at a local level. That's likely. Um, the underlying crises here are not going to go away. I don't believe that populists are able to answer these crises. Building a wall is very seldom an answer to a crisis in history. The Great China Wall didn't really work that well. Uh, the American Wall with Mexico, <laughs> if you read the Brookings Institution report of uh, last couple of weeks, they say within a couple of decades, it'll only serve to keep Americans from going to Mexico. <laughs> the, the flow of immigrants is going to go the other way. So they're, they're, not, they're very expensive and not that useful. Uh, so, yeah, I, um, what we have to see, I think, what Jung Bin was talking about, these left parties are going to have to do what Schultz is trying to do, give some lines to the population about immigration, but then develop a more coherent alternative to neoliberalism. That may not be anti-globalization. It may be a smart globalization. It may be more investment, more jobs training, more rights for workers. Something has to happen in that score to draw a distinction and to take the wind out of the sails of the populace. Otherwise, uh, they can continue to increase in power. Um, and with respect to the Social Democrats, I would say that because um, under, under the leadership of Martin Schultz, the Social Democrats have seen a you know, huge rise um, in their numbers in the polls. They will continue to go um, um, along the lines that Schultz um, dictated for the past few months, and especially on economic policies, whether it comes to economic inequality or taxation. The Social Democrats now see that their new um, progressive agendas on these issues are really helping them um, rise in polls. But in terms of their stance on the refugee policy, I think we still have to wait to see how their, how their position on the issue will, will finalize with, um, by, this, by the election in September, because um, this is what we talked about today. Um, they're facing two impulses at the same time. One, to cater to um, these more or less anti-immigrant sentiments along their, among their base voters. On, on the other hand, their ideals of you know, inclusion and openness towards immigrants. Thank you so much for the discussion today. Um, thank you for Dr. Caldwell and Jungbin for agreeing to spend some time with us thank you. Um, at the Rice Historical Review. It was a very, very insightful discussion. For more information on Jungbin's article and other articles that we published in the spring 2016 volume, please visit our website at ricehistoricalreview.org. Follow us on Twitter at Rice Historical. Stay tuned for our spring 2017 volume, which will be released in two th April 2017. Till then, thank you for tuning in to the Rice Historical Review podcast.